Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet. This is Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 164. Junior, part of our Wise Guys series. We are getting back into the Wise Guys series because the attention of the United States of America is concentrating on the ongoing saga of the election. And it is pulling everybody's ratings. It is pulling everybody's content straight into the garbage can. So I decided to concentrate a little bit better on things that matter. And people on Radio Cop Podcasts like to hear, especially, things about gangland. Now, while we're waiting to start today's show, let's see if we can listen in and see if the count is still going. Well, the count's still going on, so we'll we'll check in periodically to see what's going on there. But uh, it looks like this can go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, the official election countdown. All right, we got a lot to talk about, and uh, but before we get to that, we're going to do a little intro, and uh, we are going to talk about our new platform. We're on three things, Facebook, right? Radio Cop Nation, Parlor, P-A-R-L-E-R, Radar Cop is the handle there, and Twitter, Twitter, Radar Cop uh, Nation on that one. That's it. Now, our other Twitter accounts, I believe it was a total of uh, three more gone. We got rid of those. LinkedIn, that got double tapped. And all the rest of them. I'm not going to go through the whole list. But that's what we're on three. And we're slowly going to start integrating after January on the new stuff. The new um, conservative platforms that we can probably go to like Rumble and stuff like that. Look, it's going to be a struggle. But either way, you're not wasting your time on these left-leaning social media accounts that all they do is troll you and you're, you're basically just talking to yourself. So, you know, it's a lot of wasted effort for no reason at all. But if you put on a Che Guevara shirt and do an interview, you got a, you know, six billion or six billion people audience. That's how it works. All right. The lawsuit. Trump administration is going to go through their lawsuit. I am 100 or 1000 percent behind the president, but there's this is just a follow up from our uh, other podcast one sixty four one sixty three I mean that we said we're, they're probably not going to prevail in the lawsuit. Couple reasons why the court system doesn't want to get caught up in ruling an election, so the standard is has to be and will be higher, and to meet that threshold. 
the other thing is, whatever the deficit is, I kind of saw, not the popular vote, but the deficit as far as in votes for those states for you to get the uh, necessary uh, uh, points or, or electrical college, you're going to need that deficit basically spelled out in court. Oh, what the hell did I just say? Well, you're down two million two million votes, but you can prove they are two and a half million phony votes. See, see what I'm saying? But if you got a hundred thousand phony votes, and two, they're just going to open the door and escort you out. My other problem, and and we'll move on with from this subject, is uh, three sheets to the wind, Giuliani's the lead attorney, and uh, he's like a bad baseball player, past their prime, and you see him out there in the outfield struggling to catch the ball and coming up to bat and struggling to swing the bat. And he's coming out in interviews and he's screwing up dates, times, uh, three sheets to the wind. And if this is the best you've got, there's, there's a problem. There, there's a serious problem. So I, I've heard there's a lot of good lawyers behind this effort, and I hope there is. But uh, the mouthpiece piece that they're using right now is three sheets of the wind, not, not very confident. Now, is there a road to the White House? Yes, there is, a very small window. <clears throat> and uh, I hope he does make it. But if they're going to rely on the court system to put him there, now— the uh, court system's going to give uh, Sinister Joe the nod. Unfortunate. But we'll see what happens. All right. The purge has begun. What What is the purge? All the phony friends you've got on social network that as soon as the media elected uh, Joe Hyden, the president-elect, crowned king, they went wild, and uh, they took the social networking, Facebook, Twitter, and everything else to show that they're happy, which is good. I'm, I'm glad they are. And then to go ahead and start uh, insulting other people. So I had posted uh, on my Facebook a uh, smart little comment as, uh, let's see how the coup d'etat is going now. And then I, you know, I had a couple of uh, idiots uh, want to state their opinion. None, and, and one of them, and one of them uh, was an officer. He's a lawyer now. Look, you didn't impress the hell out of me. That's for sure with that baloney resume. My platform is not a public platform. You want to put all that stupid stuff? Do it on your website, on your Facebook, or whatever the hell. But not on mine. So I get them all. A one-shot warning, okay? Not putting up with the bullshit. Now, they think it's a democracy. We're going to have a vote for your posting. Nah, I just I just exit you out. So the purge has begun. A lot of insults on Cuban-Americans on Facebook and uh, coming from African-Americans. Wow, who would have known? There they are talking poorly about 
how hypocritical Cubans are. They left communism behind in Cuba, and then they're over here now uh, supporting uh, a, a tyrant as a dictator and, and so forth. Garbage. They don't even know what the hell they're saying. And it's embarrassing. It's insulting. But they're typical Democrats, so what they do is they insult everybody except, you know, their own being. And then uh, they feel better. And if you do anything of the contrary, then you're no good. So a lot of them are waking up today and will be waking up tomorrow and noticing, holy smokes, he defriended me or unfriended me, whatever the hell the term is now. Yeah, and I'd give you the finger too, but that might be just a little bit too difficult to do all these people. But they're getting it. And uh, I'm, I'm hammering a good 10 to 20 a, a day. And, uh, and I see something stupid, don't like it, boom, gone. Come on, get out of here. That's it. I'm not going to sit here and let you tell me what my parents told me my whole life because they ran and escaped from communist Cuba. And my dad came here in 1960. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the big lecture about that, but look, don't preach to the choir. Go preach to somebody else. You don't know what separation of family is. You don't. So go on with that baloney somewhere else. All right. So that's it. We talked about three sheets of the wind. That's it. All right. How do you get in contact with us? Well, it's easy. RaiderCopNation.com and, of course, RaiderCop. Dot com, And uh, there you can hear our shows and see our content on Radio Cop Nation. And uh, we, we're keeping it easy. We're keeping it simple. It's not very difficult to get a hold of us. And uh, But today we're going to talk about Junior. Junior, one of the most feared and capable leaders of Costa Nostra. 40 plus years at the helm one way or another. Now, there are some people that will debate that, and we'll talk a little bit why they're debating. they got a lot on the, on the, on the agenda, so we got to get going. So let's uh, hit the word of the week. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that breedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4. And you can hear more about this on Test Everything 1521, which you can see at aradacopnation.com. There's a section there that says Test Everything. Tap on that and you can hear this word explained a little bit better what we read 15 minutes or less for your spiritual guidance. All right. Before we go into the main topic, let's let's try to do another let's let's go into the count room one more time at a different location see what's going on. Why was number 10 scared? I don't know. Why was number 10 scared? Because 7 8 9. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess they're still trying to figure it out over there. So while they're trying to do that, we are going to do our thing. 
It's time to get the clowns ready because you are going to listen to the Wise Guys series, episode 164, Junior. It's, where, where are the clowns? What, what do you mean they're counting? Let's go. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Episode 164, Junior. And who is Junior? Carmine John Persicle, Jr., born August 8th, 1933. And he was also not only known as Junior because of his youthful look and even his age compared to other Costa Nostra leaders at the time. The name kind of stuck with him. But he was also called some other nicknames. And two specifically we'll talk about as we move along. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. He was the son of Carmine John Persico Sr. And Astuna Susan Plantamura. And... uh, he also had several brothers, Theodore and Alphonse, that also were Costa Nostra members, as time would tell. Uh, his father was a legal sonographer. They were raised middle class. They weren't dirt poor or anything like that. They were better off than some of the other kids. And... As I said, is he had two brothers that they did reach the level of capo in the Colombo family, and that was Theodore Persico and Alphonse Persico. And Alphonse was his older brother, and he was he was a tough cookie, and uh, he wasn't the brightest guy, but he was he was tough as nails, and as a result of that. Uh, one of the traits that Carmine did was surround himself by those that he could trust. But let's talk about that journey and how he got there. His territory is mostly in uh, Carroll Gardens, Red Hook, and Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, mostly all in Brooklyn. By the age of 16, Junior would drop out of high school. Now, he was, and you know, some research that I did He wasn't very educated and this and that, but the vast majority of the people and even a couple of judges said he was extremely intelligent. And you have to be to reach the level he did. Junior uh, became the leader of a gang called the Garfield Boys when he was a kid. It was a street gang. 
but they were the minor leagues to mob life. You know, the Costa Nostra, the gangsters in the neighborhood would watch the kids. And uh, as their reputation started to become more and more, they would keep a watchful eye for new and young recruits. Carmine was definitely on that list. Junior, at the age of 17, was charged with fatally beating a rival gang member. Now, there was rumors that he had beat the guy to death, but he really shot him. Um, but that was just the mystique that started to emerge around Carmine Jr. Persico. By the 1950s, yeah, by the 1950s, uh, Carmine, Carmine had become a member of the copper regime of Frank Abanmarco. And out of the Provacci family, remember, the family starts as, as the Provacci family under Joe Provacci. Provacci dies in 61-62. From inception, remember, the date that we always talk about is 1931 and beyond. And uh, once Persico, excuse me, once uh, Provacci dies, they... <clears throat> kind of put the underboss in there for a little while, maybe about six months to a year, and uh, the failed plot to kill Thomas Lucchese and Carlo Gambino, the Provacci family had sent out Joe Colombo to do the the hit, and uh, Joe Colombo decided to snitch to... uh, Gambino, and as a reward, he was rewarded the family. Provacci name was thrown out. It was called the Colombo family, which it is today. So just a brief little history for those that don't know me. Keep on moving along. Uh, 1951, at the age of 17, he was arrested for, as I said, uh, beating or getting in a fight with another kid, which he actually shot. Uh, he started off in bookmaking, loan shark, and hijacking burglaries. You know, he was running the mill. He was the leader of the Garfield. So he took his position in his <clears throat> minor league mob life, you want to say, and, and as a Garfield member. Took it seriously. And therefore, he was had the eye of mobsters. He would be arrested 12 times, only... Uh, spending a few days in jail. Now, once he started getting involved with uh, Frankie Schatz, that was his couple's name, in the Provacci family, the Provacci family, like all all other families at the time, they had attorneys on retainer. So as members or associates of the family would get arrested or get picked up for necessary crimes, the family wouldn't just leave them on the, on their own, you know, trying to figure out how to get out of this criminal mess I've got. Uh, they would, the retained lawyer would show up and, and bail them out. And uh, it was mostly done so you didn't get people starting to snitch because I, I don't know how to get out of this. So I might as well tell on everybody. So he would be arrested up to, you know, 12 times, not spend any time in jail, which in itself getting arrested that many times 
uh, tells you who he was. He was uh, also, he worked with uh, the Gallo brothers, Joe, Larry, and Albert Gallo, and they were at war, not only within the Provaci family, the, the Provaci slash Colombo family would have three wars. And uh, those three wars, two of those would be with the Gallos. And uh, we'll talk about that. We had another show about the Gallows. We'll, we'll attach that to the show link. The show notes, I mean. Carmine gets his break as well as Joey Gallo on October 25th, 1957, when Provaci sends them in on a hit to kill Albert Anastasia or the Mad Hatter. And uh, we're not really going to get too much into the hit some people say well, they were never a part of it and of course it's a secret society so you're not going to have film footage of them doing it but I can tell you that any type of hit like this it's in a, in the area of Manhattan broad daylight in a major hotel there's not two shooters you gotta have a team of people five six people at the most to pull this off but how this happened, I'll, I'll touch upon it very briefly, was they needed to get, uh, and when I say they, I'm talking about Vito Genovese and uh, Carlo Gambino uh, conspiring. Genovese wants to become the boss of bosses on the commission in 57. And... He wants to get rid of Albert Anastasia, which is in charge of his own family. It used to be the Man- Mangano family. Then Anastasia whacked him, got him out of the way, became his family. So his underboss, Anastasia's underboss, is Carlo Gambino. So uh, Vito came up with a pretty good idea. We whack uh, Albert, get him out of the way, and you can go ahead and take that position. Now, Vito Genovese, the reason for doing that was because he had plans to, of getting Frank Costello, which was part of the Luca, uh, Luciano family. He wanted to get Albert Anastasia out of the picture because he was known as the Mad Hatter. He was in charge of Murder Incorporated. So get rid of him, which was close to Frank Costello, and Carlo Gambino would move up. Kind of worked out, right? They, they both got something out of the deal. And so they decide that they need to give it to another family. So now you've got Carlo Gambino wrapped up in this. You've got the remnants of what's going to be the Genovese crime family wrapped up in this decision. Now, the, the Bonanno family is in turmoil right now with the Banana Wars and Joe Bonanno. And Lucchese, Tom Lucchese, is really close with Carlo Gambino. So there's nothing really to worry about here as long as we get Provaci hooked in. So they, they talked to Provaci and it sounded tempting. Now, Provaci did that not because he was a good Samaritan, but because he was going to get lucrative uh, territory in rackets that belonged to Anastasia so he went along with it and he brought he brought in two young hungry associates 
that were very effective in killings. They were earners, and they were gangsters. And that is Joe, Joey Gallo, Crazy Joe, and Carmine Jr. Uh, Persico. And <clears throat> so they went in on that day, uh, October 25th, 1957, and they whacked Albert Anastasia right there on the uh, while he was cutting his hair, the barbershop. They didn't just run in and shoot him either. You know, I mean, they came in, he had a hot towel over his face. They walked in. The place is, it's got people. There are people waiting to get their hair cut. And uh, they pulled out their guns. They were all dressed the same. They had a mask on, similar to what you wear today in coronavirus epidemic era. And uh, they just started blasting away. About 10 shots hitting uh, Albert Anastasia. First shot out of his hand because he tried to protect himself. But we know it did not work. All right, right after that event, on November 4th, 1959, the first Colombo War would break out uh, between the Provaches and the Gallows. And as you can expect, Carmine was associated with Frankie Schatz. Remember, that's his couple. That's also the couple of the Gallo brothers. So Carmine Persico is in cahoots, for lack of a better term, with the Gallows. Uh, so far during this time but one of the things that we'll notice that there was a meeting sometime uh, in the let's see let me refer to my notes here uh, and sometimes in the early 60s probably 60, 61 where Frank Costello meets with uh, Carmine Persico and the reason he met with them is that Pravaci was having a difficult time with the Gallows. And, you know, they had hijacked or kidnapped a bunch of couples. They were refusing to pray, pay tribute to Pravaci. There was just a lot of turmoil going on. Remember, Pavacci had been there since 1931. And uh, so over 30 years, he had been boss of his own family. So the young Turks, we'll call them, they, um, they didn't believe in the old ways. They wanted some change. They wanted something revolutionary to happen. So as a result, the old timers didn't want to get involved. You know, their rackets were going good. There's problems between Pravaci, which really they didn't have any lost sleep over Pravaci. They knew what they had to pay him, and they paid him every month for, for years on end. And there was no loss about the gallows either. That's their problem. But uh, the war started to become more and more... Um, dominant in the Pravaci family. So Frank Costello reaches out to who they believe, and when I referred to they, I want to say 
the remnants of the commission. Now, Costello's on his way out. Remember, he was attempted assassination in 1957 on him. So somehow this communication between these two must have been either when they were, when Carmine was in jail, prison, or at some time after that. But uh, they used Costello. And although within the Costa Nostra remnants, he might have not had that prime minister position that he had maybe five years earlier, but for young guy like Carmine Persico, this guy that just got made in 57, 58, and here it is, 1960, you've been a made member for a couple of years, and here's Frank Costello giving you a prep talk. So the prep talk was easy. He told Carmine, you got potential. I think you can go places. I'm bringing this to you as a friend of of Joe Provacci. And I think you have potential to become an effective leader because you were an earner and a gangster. But you're on the wrong side. So he goes, I don't want you to just run over to Provacci's side. You got to be useful and you're going to think about it. And it's probably going to do you a world of good to inform on the gallows. And that's exactly what Carmine did. Carmine was out for Carmine. So every move that the gallows were making, Pavacci knew about it and could head him off. So the first war, Pavacci's hammering them left and right. They're dropping like flies over on the gallows side. And they can't figure this out. But the re reason was that they had an enemy or a traitor within. Um, it was believed that Carlos, Carlo Gambino was also behind a lot of what the Gallos were doing and causing the trouble. Gambino, as soon as he got in on and took over from Albert Anastasia, took over the family, changed the name to the Gambino family. And the only capo de tutte copy that he had to worry about a boss of bosses was Vito. Well, Vito all of a sudden got a narcotic charge that everybody says was phony and went away for 15 years never to come back out. So Carlo now has positioned himself to be the Capo de Tutte Capi, or the boss of bosses. And uh, close friends of Thomas Lucchese, which uh, his son marries uh, Lucchese's daughter. And now he, Carlo Gambino, is going to start influencing this bunch of really troublemakers in the Provacci family. And as I said, Bonanno is in trouble and on the run. So things are looking pretty good for Carlo Gambino at this point. August 12, 1961, Junior earns the name of Snake. And the reason he earned that title is because that is the date that 
the Gallo crew finds out that they've been betrayed all this time by Carmine Persico. And that comes from Frank Punchy Elenalo. And he calls Carmine, he's a snake. Now, of course, it would not do you any good in your mafia circle's career growth in calling Carmine snaked his face. But behind his back, he was known as Snake. Of course, everybody called him Junior. That was his official gangster nickname. He was also called the Immortal. And the reason for that is, you see, they try to blow up Carmine twice with car bombs. One didn't go off, one did go off. But the first one that didn't go off, Carmine was smart. He took his Cadillac in to get reinforced with some nice piece of steel plates underneath the car. So when the second one had the bomb and went off, he was a little mangled in this and that, but he didn't die. Carmine was also shot several times, leg, arms, all over the place in this war. So Carmine gets beat up. He gets beat up and mangled pretty bad that one, I believe it's his uh, right hand, is uh, kind of spastic at, at the result of the injuries that he received during uh, the war, the gang war. Uh, right out of the Godfather movie. And this is the Sahara Lounge in Brooklyn, 1960s or so. Carmine, this is how they're going to find out. Uh, August 12th, 1961, Carmine has invited Larry Gallo, which is the boss of the Gallo family, the crew, to a meeting they're going to discuss what they're going to do as far as with Provacci. And they have this meeting in the Sahara Lounge that belongs to an associate of the Provacci family. And Larry lets his guard down. Even some of the Gallo members in the crew told him, hey, look, you better take so-and-so, you better take this one, take that one. He said, no, no, no. I think he took two guys with him. He said, oh, just wait in the car, I'll be right back did not really see Carmine uh, as, a, as a threat. But right out of the Godfather movie, and we'll have the clip down on the bottom so you can see it on the show notes, uh, Larry Gallo sits down on the bar stool, and all of a sudden they wrap that piano wire around his neck and they try to take him out. But during the commission of this crime, uh, NYPD sergeant, sees the bar door ajar. It was, I believe, a Sunday, so there was uh, liquor law license, you know, issues. You're not weren't allowed to drink certain hours on a Sunday. So the sergeant peeks his head into the bar to see if it's open or not. He noticed somebody's feet underneath uh, dangling from the counter. He asked the bartender, uh, what's going on? You guys open or not? And he heard some noises coming from behind the bar counter and then um, uh, Carmine Persico and uh, Ambroso was another guy that was with him they ran out of there pushed the cop out of the way the sergeant out of the way and took off 
they shot at another cop and they believe they shot him in the face to get away. And there was a shootout in them, out in the street. But that you see that in the movie The Godfather. Not exactly what occurred, but nevertheless, it was it came from this real life story. Persico would would be charged uh, for this act with uh, the issue with Larry Gallo, but Larry Gallo refused to point him out as the subject. True to Costa Nostra, he didn't do it. 1962, Provacci dies of natural causes, and uh, in 63, the Gallos got back at Carmine by bombing his car. Now, they had bombed him before, but uh, earlier, I believe, 62, but in 63, they bombed, they bombed his car, but he had it reinforced. The Gallos also pulled up alongside Persico and shot at him, hit him in the face, hands and shoulder, and the rumor is he spit out one of the bullets. 1963, Joe Gallo would go to prison, and that would end the first war. Colombo uh, in 63 and 64 uh, is a couple, and uh, as a result, they, Malagraco, which was the underboss, and then he became the boss after Provacci dies, gives the contract to Joe Colombo to kill Carlo Gambino and Tommy Lucchese. But uh, Colombo thought about it and said, no, 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 I'm going to get rid of the present boss we have over here in the Provacci family, and uh, I'm going to get recognized for this. So he dropped dime and told Carlo the whole plot. As a reward, Carlo brings him in, puts him in charge of the Provacci family, throws the name out Provacci, and names it the Colombo family, which still exists today as a reward to this. Late 1960s, uh, the, the Persico crew is strong. They're one of the strongest in the Colombo family. Of course, Carmine is operating as a capo at this point. In 1971, Gallo, uh, Joey Gallo is released from jail. And uh, Colombo is shot at in his attempted uh, assassination. He falls into a coma and basically dies seven years later. 1972, Joe Gallo uh, shot uh, Persico. The second Gallo War is going to break off now. 1979, uh, Persico is released from prison. Now, Persico is going to go in and out of prison. Now, what's so interesting about Persico is that he's going to become a leader from probably early... 70, 72, 74 to 2019 when he dies. And if you tabulate that up, it could be like 45, 47 years. Now, some people say, well, you know, he was not always the boss. Well, no, there were some front bosses. But people were taking orders from Carmine. Carmine was that individual that went toe-to-toe 
with the gallows. Carmine was that person that was groomed. Carmine was that person that had the chit-chat with Frank Costello. Carmine knew exactly what Carmine wanted, and he was going for it all the way. Wow, we're not even half uh, done, and we got 40 minutes under our belt. All right, let's keep on going here, guys. 1984 is the Great Commission case. Carmine represents himself in court while all the other bosses of other families uh, hire high-priced lawyers. Carmine does pretty good in his representation, uh, even though some people say he didn't sound very educated. But he wanted to... He kind of knew how to move his way around in court because it was just a knack that he had. Remember, his dad was a stenographer in court, so he must have spent a lot of time as a kid in court, and he kind of knew how to navigate around things. So during the commission case, of course, they all lost. They were handing out cookies and ice cream, and uh, Carmen will get sentenced to 139 years in total. For the commission case and other cases he had too. Uh, in 1986, right after the commission case, which was in 84, Carmine was the youngest family boss convicted. He was 53 at the time. So there, hence comes the name Junior. So he was a lot younger than the older, you know, the other, you know, Castellano and Tony Ducks Corallo and. Uh, Fat Tony Solano, they were in their 70s. So there's the difference. All others were in their 70s, as I said. Prior to this, in 1986, the case, Carman had been in charge of the Colombo family for 14 years uh, or since 1972. I'm sorry, for 44 years. I'm sorry. Oh, since 1972. That's a, a rough cal- calculation because, as I said, the first person they appointed was uh, uh, Yanko Valley or something like that was his name, and then later uh, Tom DeBella. So there was a lot of street bosses. But the family, right after Colombo, the attempted assassination, he falls into a coma. He doesn't die seven years later. But once it was evident, which was you know a short period of time, maybe six months or, or, or a year, they knew that Colombo was never going to come back. So they, the Campos, they voted for their new boss. And it was Carmine. Primarily, why did they pick Carmine? Well, he was groomed. He was smart. He was ballsy. And he was picked by Pervacci to go up against the Gallos. And that's what he was doing. So everybody's attitude was let him be the lightning rod, the older guys. And so Carmine was fine with it too because Carmine had all the intentions in the world to win and to rule. And those are two things he did. In uh, 1988, the third Colombo War, well, of course, the second one finishes with the death of uh, Joey Gallo. He's shot in front of Umberto's restaurant in Manhattan. And that's the end of the Gallows and the end of the Second War. The third and final 
Colombo War starts in 1988 where a couple by the name of Vic Arena is picked by the boss, which was Carmine in Persico, who was in prison at the time, uh, to become a front boss or an acting boss. But after a couple of years, Victor Rainer, uh, which was very friendly with John Gotti, decided, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep this. Some people say that Gotti put that uh, seed in his brain and they, they went to war. Astonishingly, I found out recently by Michael French Sergi on um, his YouTube channel, which is excellent. I will post on the bottom of the show notes if you want to see it and subscribe to it. But he basically said that over 75% of the active capos in 1988, they signed up to go along with Vic Arena and break away from Carmine. But nevertheless, Carmine wins. And one of the troopers that Carmine had out in the street that took care of business was the Grim Reaper, Greg Scarper. And uh, Arena eventually gets arrested, picked up, indicted, and off to prison for life. And that just killed the third war right there. But Gotti definitely wanted Vic to become boss so he could manipulate that. Uh, you have to remember that John Gotti also helped uh, Joe Messino and the Bonanno family. And he also uh, was very uh, useful in getting the Bananos back on the commission that they had been on timeout for like 15 years prior. So Gotti was making his moves. All intelligent things that you're supposed to do as a leader. 1991, the third, uh, the third war, the commission refuses to back Junior. So in the third war, the commission, the acting commission, doesn't want to back Junior. And they want Junior to step down. Uh, Junior's not having any of that. Junior uh, removes the three-boss panel, and he places his cousin, uh, Russo, on as acting boss, which is the acting boss today, too. Some things uh, never change. Um, 1996, Carmine's son, Alphonse uh, Jr., is daddy's grooming him to become boss because he knows that doing this from behind bars. You look at Carmine Persico's career as a boss, so let's say 40 plus years he's in charge he must have had less than five years out in the street the rest of it was all done in prison running a criminal enterprise like this from a prison very difficult you got to have some type of uh, network to get the information out so carmine learned very early on that he's going to have to trust people so he started putting relatives in these spots and he said he was going to groom his son but Alphonse would end up uh, getting arrested and going away to prison for life. Uh, Alphonse's son was charged with killing the Vic Arena's underboss, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Wild Bill, and they would be charged with that in uh, 07. As a result, uh, bye-bye um, 
Alphonse, which is away from prison. Some people say he's the acting boss. Oh, excuse me, he's the actual boss today. And his cousin, Teddy Persico, is the villain. But nobody really knows. And Russo is currently the street boss or the boss because uh, Teddy Persico just got out of prison, so he's doing the halfway house and parole and all that other nonsense. Once he goes through, finishes with that, he'll take the helm. So the Persico family's been in charge probably since 1972, <coughs> right after Colombo got shot. All right, so let's take a look at where we are today with the Colombo family. And the Colombo family is in serious disarray as, as of probably the last decade. They're the smallest family, <clears throat> and Carmine had shown a lot of people that running a crime family <clears throat> from behind bars is almost an impossibility. What made Carmine so effective was that he was using his relatives and people he could trust. His crew was one of the most feared in Costa Nostra uh, cycles. Carmine had all the right moves and he was relentless. He wouldn't let the other families or the other bosses try to boss him around or nothing like that. He was very confident of who he was. And as a result, he ruled with an iron fist. There was harm done to the Colombo family because of Carmine being in prison and trying to be the boss. Yes, undoubtedly. Because you're making decisions secondhand nature and it's influencing a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. But what I can tell you is that the Persico family became very, very, very rich and they are very rich as a result of those 40 plus years that he was in charge. Today, his nephew's about to take the realm, Teddy, which was a capo and I think he did 15 years and he got out and just, you know, the Persico family continues to rule or run the family. So, you know, it's not really the Colombo family anymore. It's been the Persico family since 1972. A tremendous achievement for a person that was so young. Remember what I read in 1986, the commission case? He was the youngest of all the bosses at age 53. Everybody else was in their late 70s. So, nobody can really outsmart Carmine. And there, he had the brains and the muscle to continue his position, and he did that effectively. They have always been a family that Drugs are off limits. And as a result, uh, several Colombo family members were in trouble with drugs. 
and uh, one of them even committed suicide because he already knew it was a death sentence. And they're on tape, FBI tape, saying, Junior is not going to give me a break. They knew the sentence was coming down. Junior was brutal. So this guy decided to kill himself. You know, remember, suicide is a permanent uh, solution to a temporary problem. So you got to be careful with that. But he also did not dwell much into the zips, which was Sicilians and the imports, the Italian imports that, uh, let's say, the Bonanno family and the Gambino family had in their ranks. Carmine ran the Colombo family straight out of Brooklyn like a gangster and really didn't give two shits what they were doing on the other side. He was the smallest family, but I didn't. There was no other family that were willing to risk it and fight with them because they were seasoned because they had three wars amongst themselves. A little bit of trivia. There has never been a fight against one family against another family ever since the inception of the commission in 1931 because the commission was created to defuse any problems between families and, you know, territories or anything like that. And it works very effectively. The wars that have broken out have been between family members. Banana, the banana, the banana wars. They killing themselves. The Colombo wars, three of them. Colombo's killing themselves. Um, gas pipe when he went crazy with the Lucchese family, wanted to whack everybody and their mother. It was between themselves, and the commission really, well, they don't want to get involved in family affairs. You know, they will tell you in a quiet down there. You causing a, a lot of attention on us and as a result uh, that's not very favorable whatever happened to the rest of the remnants of the Gallo family well over 27 of them I, I believe or shy let's just say over 20 of them would end up after Joey Gallo was killed Larry Gallo dies of, uh, I believe, natural causes of cancer. And Albert Blast Gallo is, I believe, an associate at the time, uh, as well with uh, Frankie Punchy, they call him. These were all associates in the uh, Gallo crew. And another 18 or 19 of them are allowed to transfer over to the Genovese family. Albert Gallo becomes a couple in the Genovese family, which is there today. And uh, Frankie Bunchy, he becomes a couple in the Genovese family too, but he's passed on ever since. There are no more remnants of the Gallo wars and and what happened there, Colombo uh, influence is almost none. Of course, he 
was shot in the 70s, 1970, died seven years later. And his influence in the Colombo family is very small. Uh, and Persico takes over for over 40 years. Today, the Persicals are still in charge. So they shouldn't even be calling it the Colombo family. It should be called the Persico family. But truth be told, they rather Colombo become the lightning rod than the, the name Persico. Interesting out of all the mob bosses, because the guy that dropped out of high school was the smartest one of them all, the ballsiest one of them all, and probably one of the richest one of them all. And he held that title all the way up until his death in 2019 in federal prison. This family's paid a toll, tremendous toll, with brothers and nephews and sons all going away to prison. Long, long prison sentence, too. The Persicals are tough as nails. Simple as that. They're tough as nails. The word on the street that Carmine was the brains, his brother Alphonse was tough as nails, but the family should bear their name, but obviously they're not going to, you know, have an election and and decide to go ahead and, and call it that. And speaking of that, just before we leave, let's let's drop in on the election count. All right, they're having some type of meeting in there, so they're going over the numbers. So they're still doing their thing. All right, song of the week. We have Angelina from Louis Primo. Up next, we're going to have, we're going to continue on the Wise Guys series. And I'm a little radical here because I'm, thinking about, and I'm probably I'm going to do it, probably going to do the Wise Guys series for the rest of the year. That's right, you're hearing correct. This thing is working. And uh, I'll give you a, a brief explanation as to why. The election thing is probably going to head into December 10th, 12th, I believe, is when the Votes have to be tabulated, accounted, and all that other good stuff. And it is just sucking the air out of the room, uh, the issue with the election. And so it's just a disservice to do a lot of um, research and development and all that, bring on uh, our guest co-host, and we're dealing with competing against this thing. So in order to can be a little bit more consistent, one way that I've always seen how our numbers go up, anything mob-related, it goes through the roof. I don't know. I guess like people are like, oh, wow, wait a minute. Is that a mob stuff? I mean, turn, turn the TV off. Cut off Fox. We're not watching Fox anymore anyway. We're going to Newsweek. New, not Newsmax. So mob business works. 
As always, it has been my honor and pleasure to be your host on Raider Cup Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, for your community, for the law enforcement agencies that serve you, and most importantly, now more than ever, for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home. Thank you.